the start of a, uh, a series, actually. We're going to start it next week, and we're linking it to the World Cup called uh, Game Changers, how we can be game changers in our places of influence, how we can be game changers in our communities, our relationships, our families, how we can have an impact in the lives of the people around us. And, and this morning on Father's Day, I just want to introduce the series a little bit with, with a really simple message. I'm going to be 20 minutes all about dads are game changers. What does it mean for a dad to be a game changer? So the first question is, what is it like to be a game changer? What does it mean? How do we apply it to our lives? And, and usually we reserve this term game changer for sporting events, um, for, for famous events in matches or, or games that, that where someone did something that, that changed the way that the game ended. Um, and, and you can think of moments, the 1966 World Cup, that the ball that did it cross the line. We don't know, but it changed the game. Um, the, the hand of God, Maradona, changed the game. Um, David Beckham's red card in France 98 changed the game. I'm sure you could think of other, other moments that stand out when, you, when you've watched a sporting match or a sporting occasion and you can see an event that you know that was the moment where the game changed. I remember once in um, 1999, um, England were, or Wales were playing England at Wembley and it was the, the very last game of the last ever Five Nations tournament. And England needed a win for the championship. They needed a win for the Grand Slam. Wales were fighting to avoid being whitewashed. We'd lost every other game. And, and in everyone's eyes, this was, this was a dead rubber. England were going to win it. England were going to win the Grand Slam. England were going to win the championship. Three minutes to go. It's England 31, Wales 25. And there's a line out. And, and everyone, everyone here is like, this is, this is over. Wales are just going to bottle this line out. The ball's going to go out. Game over. England win the championship. And if, if that had happened, I'd have taken it. Because as a Welsh fan, we, we'd actually got within seven points of England. And that, that'll do me. So three minutes to go and there's a line out. Garen Jenkins throws the line out. Chris Wyatt catches it, drops it down to, to Rob Evans. He ships it out to Scott Gibbs. Scott Gibbs runs sideways, passes it to Scott Gibbs. Scott Gibbs runs through three England defenders, dances round one, skips round another, dives over the line, and a 16-year-old boy in the stand weeps for joy. <laughs> Game changer. And I'm sure we can all think of moments where something happened in our lives that, that changed the way something ended, something unexpected, something maybe we didn't even imagine happened that changed everything. And it's not just sport. Um, who remembers Blockbuster? Who remembers Saturday night trips to Blockbuster? Two videos and a bucket of Chunky Monkey. Just me. All right. Um, but you know, Blockbuster were the thing. Everyone went to Blockbuster. Everyone went to Blockbuster, got their videos. And then what came along? Netflix. Netflix arrives and Blockbuster literally laugh in their face. And they say, this is never going to work. DVDs online? Watching stuff online? No chance. Who won the game? Blockbuster never caught on. Netflix changed the game. And the dictionary says this, this is what a game changer is. It's an event, an idea, or a procedure that affects a significant shift in the way of doing or thinking about something. It's an event, an idea, or a procedure that affects a significant shift in the current way of doing 
or thinking about something. But I'm an English teacher, and I, and I looked at this, and I wasn't convinced it, it summed up it quite the right way. Because it takes something away from the person behind it. See, when you look at the, the iPhone, the iPhone was a game changer in the world of mobile phones. But I'd say, actually, no, it wasn't. The game changer was, was Steve Jobs. The game changer was, was the team behind it who brought the idea, who brought the concept, who created it. That, the phone was just the product. The people changed the game. And so this is what I came up with. So for me, a game changer is this. It's a person or a group of people through skill, courage, or sheer determination alter an expected or anticipated result or who challenge a perceived ideal. And I know that's a lot of words, but for me, this is, this is where it comes to. It's just someone or so, a group of people who, who, through some massive effort, they change what is expected. They change what's anticipated. And, and when you look at it, almost everything we do, we do because someone somewhere changed the game. Someone changed the way we do things. Someone changed the way we think about things. We do church the way we do because one day someone decided you didn't need an organ to worship. We do church the way we do because someone decided the tambourine was from the devil. <laughs> we don't have to wear sandals and white socks because someone changed the game. William Wilberforce decided slavery wasn't okay and he changed the game. Someone somewhere decided you should have the Bible in your own language and it changed the world. Because we get these people that, that come along and through a moment of skill, a moment of bravery, a moment of determination, they change everything. So I want to share for 13 minutes on, on, on a dad in the Bible who I think was, was a great model of being a game changer. And I could have chosen a few. And I haven't got time to go through them. But Abraham, Joseph, Jacob, Jethro, Jairus, David, they've all got moments in their lives where they, they show incredible acts of fatherhood. But the person I want to focus on is in Matthew's gospel. And he's a guy who doesn't get any airtime until around about December. So if you've got your Bibles, can you turn to Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. And it says this, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus a lot of translations call Joseph a, a just man or a, or a righteous man, a man who knows the law, a man who obeys the law, a man who applies the law, a man who never bends the rules for anyone, not even his favorite people or his family. But how can Joseph be just? 
if the lawful response to what Mary has done is for her to be executed? How can Joseph be righteous when what he should have done in the law, under the law, was taken Mary out and have her stoned? Deuteronomy demands it. It's in the law. And I wonder if the reason he says that the, the actual translation has shifted over the years, because my translation says he was a good man. And I wonder if Joseph just looked beyond the law and saw grace. That even before the angel has arrived, he sees some grace and he, and he makes an incredibly bold decision at that point not to turn her in, not to hand her over, um, not to have her publicly shamed, but to, to allow her and the child to live. Now, that's an incredibly bold thing to do in first century Palestine. You need, to, you need to be aware of that. But his decision was that this child would grow up without a dad. He would walk away. She could, she could have her baby. This child would grow up without a dad. And, and, and in truth, no one would want Mary. That would be her punishment. She could have her child. She could live. But that was it. Maybe her parents could take care of her. But once the divorce was finalized, that was it. Joseph was off. He was scot-free. Conscience clear. That would be her punishment, and that would be socially acceptable. He could argue mercy for the unborn child and justifiably walk away. In society's eyes, that's acceptable. In society's eyes, that's okay. But then Joseph gets a visit from an angel. And in a dream, this angel says, this child is, con is conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is God's son, and he's been chosen to raise it. And I wonder if Joseph ever told anyone when this happened. I wonder if he, he kept it quiet to, to prevent the ridicule from getting worse. You know, hey, my wife's having a baby, but don't worry, it's not mine. It's God's. But you know what? It would be a great comeback. Because I was thinking about this. You know, as that baby grew inside Mary and the guys got together, hey, what are you going to call your baby? Oh, Mark, good name, good name. What are you going to call your baby? John, great name. What about yours? Oh, Bernard, lovely. What's yours going to be called? Messiah. But he must have known that, that although it would have been an incredible comeback in, in the culture and the atmosphere time to wander around saying your child is going to be the savior of the Jews in the middle of Roman-occupied Israel, that would have put you in a world of danger you didn't want to be in. So Joseph has to keep it quiet. And through his boldness, through his, his bravery, through his grace and, and his wisdom, he changes the game. Because if at any point he'd have, he'd have blurted any of that out, in that kind of history, the game could have been over. I know God's kind of all-powerful and has, has his ways of doing things, but, but for this context, it could have ended totally differently. And he possesses the strength of character to stand up against his community and take Mary as his wife. Despite the law, despite the shame and the gossip that would have, would have come, he had the courage to withstand the culture of the time, to, to reject what was socially acceptable and do what was right. Even when it cost him. And there's an incredible obedience to God's provision. That, that even though this is hard, even though it hurts, even though I don't know what to do, God's will or God will make a way. It's an obedience to God's provision. And it's interesting that when you read Joseph's story, God actually speaks to Joseph four times. More than he speaks to Mary. 
And, and you can study these with more depth at home. Um, I really haven't got time to go through them. But it's what Joseph does when he hears from God that, that really um, got me as I was studying this. The first thing Joseph does when you read it, he doesn't sleep with Mary. It says he hangs on. And, and, and you know, to, when they got married, it says they got married. Now, to consummate the marriage would be normal. That would be okay. That would be socially acceptable. But Joseph holds off. Why? Because he knew the prophecy. The virgin will conceive. If Joseph gives in to his desires, the virgin can't conceive. Because she's not a virgin anymore. So he has to hold off. Even when culture would say, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead, you're married, now go for it. He holds off because he knows there's something special about this child that he has to hold. And it's an obedience of purity. That even though it costs him, he holds on. He waits. And then when Jesus is born, he's, he's warned to flee with his, with his family to Egypt. And, and he does, no questions. He, he runs, and then they wait in Egypt for God to reveal that it's safe to return. Do you know, that's an act of obedience in God's protection. That being able to go somewhere and go, God, I know you're going to protect me wherever you take me. I don't understand it, but I'm going to go. And then they arrive back in Israel. So it, it, Jesus could have been two, three, four, five years old. Now they come back to They come back to Israel, and God speaks to Joseph again and says, listen, don't go back to Judea. It's not safe. And they start, now Joseph could have started a life anywhere. Anywhere within that land, he could have started a new life to get away, start a new story where no one knows your name, and and start again. But he goes, he could have gone to Bethlehem, the place of Jesus' birth, settled in Bethlehem, his family were in Bethlehem, happy days, live a long, happy life in Bethlehem. But he goes back to Nazareth. He goes back to face everyone he left behind. He goes back to face all the shame, all the ridicule, everyone looking at him and staring and going, oh, is that the child that isn't Joseph's? And he goes back because he's obedient to the plan. There's an obedience to God's plan. And the plan was, when you read the prophecy of the Messiah, that the the, the Messiah would come from Nazareth. So Joseph knew that. He knew what the prophecy was, and he had to act on God's plan and go back. Uh, and these acts, for me, they, they changed the course of history. Without these acts of obedience, without this, this act of faith and the act of mercy, this would be a totally different Christmas story. And here's where I'm going with this this morning, that, that Joseph at any point could have done the socially acceptable thing. He could have done what was culturally okay. He could have had her stoned. He could have divorced her. Either way, he walks away with a clean conscience because the culture and the society of the time was, was happy with that. That was fine. And you know, in life, it's really, really easy for us to do what's socially acceptable. It's really, really easy for us to go along with, with a cultural norm. Um, and one thing I've learned is that there, are, there are lots of things God allows us to do. It's called free will. But that doesn't mean God agrees with us doing them. Just because God accepts something, or sorry, just because God, God allows something doesn't mean he accepts it. There are things that, that God will, will allow us to do, but he certainly doesn't ordain them. They're not things in his plan. And, and it's really easy to do, and I've I found this in my life, it's really easy to do what is culturally and socially acceptable, and it's harder to do what is right. 
It's a real challenge to, to maintain your integrity even when you might lose out. To do the right thing even when it costs you, when, when the tide of, of cultural or social opinion might go against you, when, when everyone else says, yeah, it's fine, or don't worry, everyone's doing it, or it's, it's harmless, or, or nobody's getting hurt, or you get called a prude or a, a killjoy. Um, and I've had this one, too holy. I've had people, when we, we joke at work, I've got a really good relationship with everyone I work in, but, but there's guys at work that know, know I won't do certain things because I'm too holy. And I joke, yes, I am. Actually, because actually God has called me to do what is right, not what is socially acceptable. And, and there's things I've had to stand for in my workplace and, and continue to stand for, because there's things that, that are in, in our workplace are socially acceptable, but to me, they're not right. And I'll stand on that. Um, and, you know, for me, I won't dwell on this too much, but, it, but for, for blokes, it's hard not to join in certain conversations. It's a real challenge not to join in conversations or, or to look at a certain website that, that everyone's looking at or to, to look at a picture or to, or to read something or watch that program or watch that film or, or go along to this club or, or this group. or um, you know, Even when the social surroundings around us say that it's okay, it's not illegal, it's fine. It's hard to take that stand and say, actually, no, that's, that's not for me. Thanks. I'm going to have integrity even though it might cost me. And in our house, we have a, we have a daily calendar. And we've had this for ages. Um, and I think it's Hannah's from when before we got married. And every, every day on it, there's a, there's, a, there's a verse from the Bible, and you kind of flip over the days, and it, it cycles around. And it was my birthday a few weeks ago, and this is what reminded me, because I remember the first year we were married. And we got, we got to my birthday, and I turned the page over to see what the verse says. And I love that every year on my birthday, this is my, my birthday verse, and I think we've got it on the screen, and it says this, I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to my aid? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. Psalm 101, I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to my aid? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. It's an incredible reminder every time my birthday cycles around that I get that. It's, it's a challenge and it, it's an inspiration. That as I wait for God to break through in certain areas of my life, God is challenging me to stand firm and lead a life of integrity in my home. That my daughter has a father who above all else is a man who stands up and lives out what he believes. That, that, that when Naomi looks at me, she, she sees a dad who doesn't do what is socially acceptable. He doesn't do what the world says is okay, but a dad that does what is right. That she'll see a father who, who loves his wife. That she'll see a father who is faithful, a father who's dependable, a father who prays for and with his family, a father that speaks words of life into her, a father that, that demonstrates a love of God, demonstrates a love for church, and, and that instills a culture that Sunday is a church day. And I might be old-fashioned with this, but I've always believed it. Sunday is a church day. And I want to instill that in my family that actually I don't care how hot the sun is. I don't care how loud the beach is calling. Oh, I'm nearly done. That's not bad. I don't care how loud the beach is calling. Sunday is the day I go and meet and gather with people to worship God. That's it. It's not culturally acceptable. It's not socially acceptable, but it's right. But I'm convinced that as dads, if we can do this, if we can get this, if we can demonstrate that courage, that determination, and maybe a little bit of skill, 
We can be game changers for our children. We can snatch children's lives from the grip of the world and, and turn a child's future around. We can, if we can live lives of integrity, we can spend more time building strong children than repairing broken adults. So I promise this will be short. But what I want to do, if you're a father this morning, and this could be grandparents, parents, and we talked about spiritual fathers. If, you, if you're a father this morning, I'd like you to stand, if that's all right. Let's be bold, let's be courageous, let's be brave. Now, women, you've had a practice at this already, because women, your job is to pray for these men. You don't have to lay hands on them if you're not comfortable. That's fine. Just, just reach out your hands towards them. And we're just going to pray over them one word, integrity. That we will be fathers of integrity. Because whether we're a father, a grandfather, or a spiritual father, we want, we want to make a decision to, to rise up to be men of integrity. So why don't we just gather now, and then I'll, I'll, finish, I'll close this off in prayer. So just find a, find a father. That sounds really odd. <laughs> find a father. Um, if you're comfortable, just putting your hand on their shoulder or pray. And just pray this word over them. Pray integrity over their lives, that they will be fathers of integrity. Why don't you take a moment to do that? God, would you help us to be fathers who do the right thing, even when it might cost us? God, would you help us to be bold and courageous, that our determination, our resilience, our courage, and, and sometimes a bit of skill would change the game for our children. God, would the world, the, the, the outcome the world expects, God, it would not be their outcome. It would not be the way it finishes. The result that the, the world anticipates would not be their result. God, would you let these fathers grow in integrity so that the lives of their, their children, they would walk in God's plans and God's ideal and God's purposes and God's provision, that we'd see a generation rise up that backed by men of integrity who stand in your power and your grace and, and your love, that, that a generation of children would rise, that love you, that they would change the game in their generation. God, would you bestow a spirit of integrity into this house. Would you bestow a spirit of integrity onto, onto these fathers, into every father stood this morning, that they would strip everything back that holds them off. They would strip every bad word, every rejection, every failure, every hurt. They would strip everything off that, that might hold them back and they would run an incredible race that you have set for them. God, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.